0: This is the Blaze Radio on demand.
1: You're listening to the Church Boys Free Fall Q&A. It's Billy Hollowell here with the Church Boys podcast, and I have Tony Perkins with me. How are you? Good, Billy. How are you? I'm good. It's been a while since we last um, did an interview. I it, think it,
0: it has been. Yeah, it's good
1: to be back with you. It's good. It's good to talk with you. So you have a book, No Fear. Which I love. I love that title. And um, there's a lot of fear, though, today, I feel like. In every
0: More so like that, than when I wrote the book. Well, yeah.
1: <laughs> well When did you write the book? When was well,
0: the book was actually about a five-year process. It, it began as I was doing a personal Bible study by extracting all of the, the uh, references in the Bible where it said, fear not, have no fear. And I, and I saw a pattern emerge that when those words were spoken, when God would say that to an individual or to a group... It was usually prior to him doing something extraordinary through ordinary people. And and then I began to see young people, and that's what the book is about. It's the profiles of about a dozen young people, mostly millennials, who have stood up for their faith in different settings. I began to see all of a sudden these stories come about of, of these young people. And so I began to dig a little deeper, and then one thing led to another. Yeah, and it's interesting because
1: it's a time you would assume as we move through society and things get... You would assume things get better and better and people are more open but it's kind of the polar opposite you have people very afraid and you know you we've had sort of the culture wars going on for a long time you had the culture war on the right pushing back and now you kind of have the culture war on the left pushing back and it seems in many ways that the left has now been victorious on and on many fronts and i think a lot of people are fearful a lot of christians are fearful um, or maybe feeling a little bit pushed into a corner Mm -hmm. uh, like they can't speak out like they can't say what they think Um, And it's a very
0: fast sort of progression. This happened, it seems, in the last five years. I think that's absolutely correct. I think what's happened in large part is that we've seen um, a president who has used his influence to help facilitate an environment in which the left has been able to shove those viewpoints into the corner. But it's been facilitated by fear. It's been facilitated by the fear of Christians self-censoring by silencing themselves out of fear. And so really the premise of the book is that you know, we're not to have a fear of man, rather we're to have a greater reverence for God. And that means that we will identify with Him publicly in the workplace, in the school, And these are stories of young people who have done that. See, we're being told, Billy, that the young people are turning away from faith, that they're walking away from it. There is evidence to suggest they're walking away from the organized church. I would suggest that maybe it's because the organized church has walked away from the truth. These young people are more committed to it. And these stories tell that of young people who have chosen to have a greater reverence for God Than a fear of their fellow man, the mockery, the insults, the rejection that often comes.
1: Right, I think the labeling is really what scares. You know, you say something and somebody says to you, "Well, you're a bigot, or you're this, or you're that." You know, that I know a lot of people are afraid of that. They don't want that label on themselves, Right. right? And I think it's hard in a world. You know, you talk about young people, which I think it's great. You chose young people to focus on because. Young people are, I think, extra afraid. But also, growing up in an environment where entertainment media, all of what they're hearing is very sort of culturally one-sided, right? right. It, and you know, we can get into the politics and all that, but really, it's the, it's the cultural sort of. Well, you you have sex with whoever you want to. So you do whatever you want, right? That's that's kind of what's reinforced in every level. So it is hard, also, to be young and to hear that if you're not getting it from your parents and you're not going to church. You're probably not hearing the other side right. of that message very often, right? right? And,
0: and, and this is actually what Jesus warned his disciples of. In fact, in fact, over in Matthew chapter 10, where he sends out his disciples for the first time, kind of a test run of being, uh, you know, uh, preachers in training. He says, look, people are going to reject you. And when they do, just shake the dust off your feet and move on. And he goes on in the, in the latter part of that chapter, he says, look, the, the servant is not greater than the master. And if they called the master the chief of demons, then you know, don't be surprised when they call you a few names. It's really interesting. Jesus actually said, this is gonna happen. If you truly follow me, you're gonna be called names. You're gonna get labeled. You're gonna be rejected. And, and think about that for a minute. Jesus was the son of God, but yet he was called the prince of demons. Polar opposite. We're called haters when we speak about the love of God polar opposite. And so this is nothing new. It's been happening for over 2,000 years, and it's, it's intensified. It's probably new to us in terms of the culture has been pretty much receptive to Christi- Christianity up until this present time. So the book is just saying, all right, here's some young people that are doing it, and here's why they're doing it. Each chapter tells the story of, uh, of a young person. But then the second half of the story actually has the biblical uh, construct for this. For instance, in my first chapters on Lila Rose. I was going to ask about that. I, of course, you know. And, 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 and what we're seeing unfold today, in fact, um, the, there's a congressional investigation into the sale of fetal body parts, uh, baby body parts that triggered by the Center for Medical Progress's undercover inst- uh, investigation, which was inspired by Lila Rose in her undercover investigations of Planned Parenthood. And so I tell her story, not just the zenith the, the of, of her experience, but kind of her childhood. What, what brought her to that point of being so uh, gripped that she needed to do something about... Abortion and and children, and then the second half of the chapter talks about the Hebrew midwives that uh, used deception with Pharaoh because many have challenged Center for Medical Progress and Lila for being deceptive in her tactics. Is that ever um, acceptable? Well, we talk about that in the book. Yeah, and it's interesting because one of the
1: standard now and and there's a debate over are they activists or journalists? I mean they're activists, but but. Journalists
0: can get what is a journey? journalist,
1: right? Well, and <laughs> yeah. I think, but I think the lines are kind of blurred. Yeah. No, and, they and are, really There's the, no, no. The, the thing that if you can't get information by being truthful, but it's information that is there's public will involved in that information that it impacts the public in some way. And in this case, if you have an organization that's being funded with taxpayer dollars, right, and there's no other that's way to discover one. a truth. Then going undercover is not always ruled out. You know, people will say, "Well, journalistically, you shouldn't be deceptive." Well, there are times in which journalistically you do, you would do that because there's no other way to get the information. It's these things sometimes in my mind kind of fall under that. So people can say they're an activist or they're a journalist or whatever, but but using that tactic is the only way to maybe try to find a truth. And
0: you know, well, a, a key aspect of what you just said is that when they receive taxpayer dollars. Because, see, that means we're not uh, totally unrelated to this. As citizens, we are participants in this. We're not spectators. We're participants. Whether we like it or not, our tax dollars are going to fund this effort. And so I go back to the story of the Hebrew midwives. Their issue is they were being forced to be a participant in something that violated their understanding of the fact that God created human life and it was sacred and we were not to take it. They were told to kill the Hebrew baby boys and they refused to do it. And they they used what would be described as a form of deception to the Pharaoh. So is it always right and appropriate? No. Are there times? Yes, these are complicated issues. And, and one of the reasons in the book that every chapter, the second half, is a biblical figure with biblical principles is because I'm not trying to encourage people, young people in particular, to be um, radical from a standpoint. Of, yeah, yeah, wait a minute. I, I do want them to be radical in terms of how they live their faith for Christ, right. but not libertarian in the way that they throw off all laws and restraint. There is a way in which we approach this, and we're just challenging encouraging young people to live out their faith in an authentic way according to biblical principles and teachings
1: yeah i mean it seems really the issue we we are a divided culture on every front right and and it seems worse and worse and worse and worse. it just it gets politically i mean we talk about the issues of race the last year and a half every it's like enunciated and it's it's bigger than ever these divides or at least bigger in some sectors than it's been in a long time and what's striking to me is that what people believe is good or right, <clears throat> there's such a different definition of what good and right is at mm-hmm. this point. And it's true. you have the people on the Planned Parenthood side saying that they are doing what is good and what is right. And right. you have the people on, on Lila's side and Center for Medical Progress saying that, no, this is what is good and right. And so I guess my question for you is why do you think that that divide has gotten stronger, at least appears to have gotten stronger?
0: That's a great question, Billy. And I would say the reason I think that divide has gotten wider is because we've no longer agreed that there is truth. You see, truth is transcendent, and the reason that we have been unified as a culture in times past, not, not, not uniformly, but more so than we are today, is because we, we did have an understanding that there is truth. We understood that there was a creator and that creator created the, the laws and the constructs by which we operate and that truth, whether we liked it or not, and whether you know we we had some issues of interpreting that truth, at least there was a, a core yeah. which brought us together. But as we have rejected truth and we've pushed it out of the public square, as we've seen in government, essentially under this administration saying, hey, keep your faith outside the public domain then then what is there that brings us together because it's all it's just my my word against your yours and my view of truth against your view of truth.
1: Well, and and it's a fascinating thing, I think, for people of faith when they look at broader constructs of what is driving it, right? I mean, because you can have these conversations and not talk about faith, but I think if you believe in in good and evil and and you start to look at what's going on in media, what's going on in entertainment, what are these messages that are being sent out, there are broader issues going on that are kind of fascinating. But Dr. Michael Gillen, who is an ABC News correspondent, he he has a book out and he talks about the 10 absolute truths in science and in religion and these things that are shared by both and Christianity in particular and one of them is absolute truth that science both science and and Christianity believe in absolute truth and that but that in culture we act like there is no absolute truth but that truthfully you have to actually embrace both
0: but as you as we move away from that understanding in the culture we're even challenging the scientific truth right I mean biology I mean what better example of that that we're deni- we're, we're denying the truth of of science and biology as, as man and, and woman are created.
1: And, and it, it is interesting that all of these issues, the transgender debate, all these things are happening at the same time. And, and I'm just, I am fascinated by culture. So I look at it all and I think, huh. But it all is interrelated. I think that there's a relativism that is going on. And, um, no you know, question. these are complicated debates, they're complicated discussions. Um, but the more people, I guess, lose that, that notion of an absolute truth, the, the more, more we're going to have the debate right, because the more there's the more,
0: go. there's lack of clarity. But going back to the to the to the premise of the book is that, given that that is a rea- that is the reality in which we live, a morally confused culture because we reject truth, and of course it's gone beyond just rejecting truth, to the point of being hostile toward the truth. When someone interjects and says, "Wait a minute, no, that's not true." This, wait a minute, who gives you the right to say that? Right, of course would be well how can you say that my truth is not true because right. that would be a declaration of truth yeah. so the the what we see here though is that this is a time for young people all people to live out their faith in an authentic way even though the world may claim there's no transcendent truth we know that there is truth and we are called to live according to the truth and do so without apology now our motivation should be one of redemption and one of love, and we tell those stories in the book. We want to see others come to the knowledge of the truth and the abundant life that follows. But if we shrink back in fear and live in the shadows, it'll never happen.
1: Yeah, and I think it's interesting. And, and, you know, I am one... Who sort of says, well, look, there were a lot of... I grew up in an evangelical home, and, you know, so I've grown up in this world. I think there were a lot of things the church handled wrong and a lot of these issues. The tone, the way well, we're it was human. addressed. Right, we're, exactly. But it's also easy to do that when the mainstream culture at the time embraced... It's sort of, that's the embrace. This is what we believe. Everyone's kind of on the same page. That's kind of flipped now, though. Yes. So I think there were a lot of mistakes, a lot of errors, a lot of very nasty things that happened. And a lot of really good things that happened, too. Um, so not to diminish any of that, but now it's flipped and you kind of have, well, the culture endorses this now and everyone's kind of on this side. So if you're not on that side, in, in a lot of ways, Christians are in a position that some people on the other side, even gays and lesbians were in before in terms of not allowing another perspective, not saying you can't say what you believe without being called a bigot. You can't share without being shut down. Whereas we probably should have an ability to discuss these things and disagree and leave it at that, Right. Now, I don't know if you disagree with that, but that's kind no, of. No, I mean,
0: I think I mean, that, that's the way a, a civil society operates is that you have the ability to have these discussions, and I'm very confident that the truth, the transcendent truth, moral truth, which is also reflected in the sciences, whether it be the physical sciences or the social sciences, that in a, in a world driven by reason, that prevails ultimately. So I, I, I'm not intimidated yeah. by by the ar- process of debate and argumentation. Yeah. Not at all. What we're seeing, though, is that the other side is, and they don't want to have the debate, and so they they well, like you say, they'll, they'll, they'll resort to labeling and, and, and simply shutting down conversation. That, I think, is very dangerous for a, um, a republic like ours, where it forces then well, I mean, I think what we see happening in the political realm right now is a response to that. I think yeah, Donald Trump's, uh, you know, this uh, phenomenal. Rise, I mean, it's it's it just goes beyond any there's political like model. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <There's> nothing. <laughs> there's nothing like it. And quite frankly, I think it's dangerous because I think we see even evangelicals operating out of fear and frustration yes. rather than faith and reason. Yeah, and, desperate
1: for a breath of fresh air, and right. they're finding it in somebody who they believe will rescue and protect.
0: And there's no rational reason to think that.
1: Especially when you have other candidates who would align. I mean, and I could say this without any bias at all. There are other candidates, even if you're an atheist, you should be able to look and say, well, those candidates, the evangelicals should like them because they align better. Well, at
0: least they have have a construct for which you can anticipate what they're going to do. Right. That doesn't exist with Donald Trump. Now, what he has done... Is that he has tapped into the frustration that many have, and I'm talking about conservatives in particular, the frustrations with the Republican Party that has overpromised and underperformed historically, and the fear. As you, yeah. if you, we've just been talking. The culture has changed. The country has changed. America has changed. It's not the same country that the we woke up.
1: correctness. That that obsessive political correctness that people secretly hate. Right. <laughs> but are afraid don't. to say right.
0: something, and so they harbor this fear. And then all of a sudden, here comes a guy who says, "You know, I don't care what you say." You know, yeah. and he he breaks every uh, say whatever he you know, wants. Too. Yeah, every bond it's of so political strange. correctness. <laughs> and so people say, "Hey, that's the kind of guy I can get behind." I understand that. Yeah. I'm attracted to that. However, as evangelicals, as Christians, as followers of Christ, we can't make our decisions based on fear and frustration. Certainly that can get our attention. We all have emotions. But at some point our faith, and I'm not talking about faith from stamps of putting our hope in something that does not exist, but rather operating from the teachings of our Christian faith combined with reason. Right. We make informed decisions.
1: Are you endorsing a candidate? Have you? Endorsed I have
0: him? endorsed a candidate as an did. individual. I have endorsed a candidate. Now our organization has not, but uh, I have. And who have you endorsed? I endorsed Ted Cruz. Okay, that's what I thought.
1: Yeah, and it's it's interesting because you would think again that Ted Cruz would be the one resonating, or even Marco Rubio, based on what they have said about their faith and how they exhibit themselves in debates. And right. In so. Um, and, and and the discussion of it being unlike anything else, you really don't know how it's going to end. Because, I mean, you look at the polls, you look at the past, this is, it defies yeah, it all. Yeah, Even there's no, always... No comparison. Right. And,
0: and the interesting thing, evangelical vote has increased. And it's historically been about 50% of primary voters. It's actually higher than that. More evangelicals are voting. Again, going back to the fear and frustration aspect, they're motivated... Unfortunately, I do think that too many of them are not making the transition and, and settling down before they vote. Yes, it's great Donald Trump got their attention, but then faith and reason needs to kick in and we need to make informed, educated, rational decisions. And I'm, I'm, I'm concerned that uh, a large portion are not. And as you said, there are other candidates in this race. I'm not just saying this because I've endorsed Ted Cruz. There are other candidates that clearly have the faith. I mean, we had Mike Huckabee in this race. We had Rick Santorum in this race. Uh, we had Marco Rubio. We had Ted Cruz. Who uh, has delivered.
1: Marco Rubio has delivered, outside of any, some of the most fascinating gospel proclamations he I've has. heard of anybody. And he has a very good command of it, right? right. And, and, and so does Ted Cruz and so do others. It's just strange to me when you have the two Corinthians and you have all these things happen that would make, in any other election cycle, would sink any candidate, have not. And it looks like he might be the candidate. And if he is, what do you think happens? I mean, what do you...
0: I don't know. I, I, I don't know what happens. Um, I just know that from a historical standpoint, when a people responds to a, a leaders that offer some of the solutions that he's offering given the environmental situation in which they respond i'm trying to be politically correct right no but i understand exactly it doesn't turn out it doesn't turn no, out yeah, and
1: everybody actually i've interviewed many people at nrb and that same exact thing has been said and i think um people on both sides have said that i've heard family members say that who are democrats and i've heard yeah it's it's um it's fascinating well, listen. This has been great. Anything else you want to tell us about the book before we? No,
0: it, 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 it's it's encouraging. And I, the bottom line here, Billy, is this: that I know there's a lot of young people and others Christians out there that are that feel intimidated. These are inspiring stories of young people who were bold enough. And, and, and it was ten. There was tension, and we tell it in the book. But if these. 17, 18, even 13-year-olds can live out their faith in an authentic way. Why can't the rest of us? So it's, it's inspiring. It's a great uh, resource to, to give to young people. Youth groups are using it as a study guide because there's uh, study questions at the end. of it. But it, it's a great resource. It's encouraging. It'll give you hope in the next generation. Well, thanks a lot. It's been great catching up. All right, Billy. Good to be with you.